Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference in their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more right Right now at parkpower.ca. New book alert. Ah, that delicious new book smell. Yeah. I mean, it's always a little bittersweet. I mean, we were enjoying Beneath the Rising. We were. We were having wonderful interactions with Premi Muhammad on <laughs> Twitter. She's so sweet. Uh, even though I doubt she will ever actually listen to the episodes. I get it. It's okay. Because of self-consciousness. But uh, yeah, we, we finished the book and it is time to move on and pick up something new. And it's always exciting to to find a new piece of genre fiction to really sink our teeth into. Mm-hmm. With that, we head headfirst into Phoenix Extravagant. Yeah, there's no real recap, so. No. I guess I guess it's we like just. Last time on the read-along. Ooh. <laughs> So yeah, I guess I guess as you say, that leads us into chapter one of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. I prefer how I say it. Extravagant. Like it should be very fabulous. I mean, it is obviously fabulous. Oh, I am look especially after this first chapter, I am looking forward to this book. I mean, we we you've seen the cover. Yeah. It's a sexy red dragon. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. So we we start out immediately meeting our protagonist. Yes. Up and coming artist, Jen Jebby. Yes. Is that how we're agreeing to say it? Jen? Jen. Jen. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, we, we, uh, we checked last time before we uh, introduced the book. Yeah, And I, I seem to recall that it was Jen. But that was a week ago. And my memory's I mean, not that good. The book familiarly refers to them as Jebby. So I'm also assuming that we're going with Asian style name structure. So family Jebby. name first, given name second. Yes. Because referred to as Jebby through yeah. most of the chapter. Yeah. They begin the book undergoing an examination by the Ministry of Art, looking to gain some sort of government position. Yeah. Wow. There was so much to take in in the first chapter of this book. Yeah. It, oh, there was so much world building packed into one little chapter. It so was awesome. Yeah, it's always nice to see it. It really draws you into the world right away. Yeah. Uh, and and gives you a little taste of... Uh, it, I honestly had a lot of flashes of a memory called Empire. Me through too. This, through this chapter. Yeah, not like crazy vibes, but hints. Little hints of. Yeah, a similarity in the, in the kind of the world building and... Some of the social constraints The, and the such. government structure kind of, sort of. Yeah. That's okay. I like that book a lot, too, so. Apparently, the Takes Kalanli Empire and the uh, Rezane Empire both <laughs> both share some similarities. Yeah. Difficult for Anita to pronounce. That as well. Uh, also, flowers that are loaded with political meaning. Right? Also a common thread between the two of them. Oh. 
Because uh, the the chapter really starts with Jebby fretting over which flower to paint as part of the examination. Because you don't want to go with specific flowers that might... Offend. Offend or might have some sort of subtle meaning in one culture but not the other. And so they ultimately go with a very neutral flower. Uh, what did they go with? A peony? Uh, yes. Yeah. I believe that's what they went with. So we, we learn a couple things during this kind of opening period with Jebby in the examination room. Uh, Jebby wants this uh, job partly because they want to make life a little easier for themselves and their sister, uh, but also because they're looking to pay off some debt. And we will learn later on what in this chapter what that debt is, mm -hmm. uh, though it's a little nebulous at first. Uh, they also know that their sister, Bong Sunga, who we will also meet later in the chapter, wouldn't understand. And it's a little unclear why that understanding might not be there at first, but we will also learn that towards the end of the chapter. Well, a little bit. You and I have some speculation on that. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's not stated outright, so. We uh, we also learned that Huaguk, uh, the... Which is where we are. The realm that, that Jebi is in, uh, has been conquered by a foreign occupier, the Empire of Razan. And Jebi has made a lot of concessions uh, already to this foreign power ruling their land. First of all, applying for a job with the with the occupying government. Right. Uh, number two, uh, dressing in a Rizane style, apparently uh, a tunic and like pants are a little more Western vogue as opposed to local. Yeah. Jebby has also taken a Rizane name, apparently officially having been given one. Yeah, applied for like a certification yeah. and like a... I don't know if it's a name change so much as just an acceptable pseudonym. Uh, that, well, yeah, that seems to be. That's the impression I got. The from it. we're going to discuss the Rosanna a little later on. We're going to put a pin in that. But uh, for the time being, Jebby has assumed the name Tesserao Sanin. Yes, I think that's how you say it. That's uh, fairly confident that's how you pronounce it standard disclaimer on pronunciations i am not good at this yeah. i will try there's a lot of korean names in the chapter and i've been doing my best to look up how they're pronounced but i could not find some so i apologize if my pronunciation is not up to snuff for for some of them we are two prairie canadians we're trying doing our best we're trying so uh jebby finishes early and feels a little better about the work that they've done after having glanced around at some of the weaker art of the other artists. Also maybe insults the examiner by staring at them a little too long. Well, that's just it though. Jebby wasn't staring at the examiner so much as staring off into space and just happened to be doing it in the examiner's direction. That's not entirely accurate. They were deciding how they would draw a caricature of the examiner. Yeah, but that's what I mean. They weren't they weren't like maliciously staring at the examiner. They were Studying looking, the examiner. Yeah, looking at him and stating him, and then kind of fell into fell into their own mind about how and to draw was, the character and didn't realize that they hadn't shifted their gaze. Yeah, they were looking too long. Yeah, so <laughs> it looks like they were staring at them, but they, they weren't. Yeah. Not, well, they weren't doing it on purpose anyway. At last, the exam ends. Uh, Jebby is hungry, having not had much of a breakfast. Uh, a girl, maybe in her late teens, falls in beside them, tries to strike up some conversation, but Jebby brushes her off, does not have time for this. Yeah, shuts that right down. Yeah. Food only. <laughs> we get our next piece of world building here uh, when Jebby passes some automata on their way to lunch. Okay, they sound terrifying. I mean, Jebby certainly thinks they're terrifying. Uh, they're faceless, they're creepy, but at the very least, they're not people. Because if they were people, they wouldn't be 
very impartial. Jebby considers that Huagugan collaborators and Razane occupiers alike, the military forces that yes. are kind of uh, dealing with the occupation, tend to be corrupt and cruel. The automata, at the very least, aren't that. They're ruthless and efficient, but they're impartial. Yes. Uh, apparently, they move around in small units with a human handler. They are dressed like, like a people, but they are very clearly not. I wonder why they bother to dress them like people. Probably to make them seem a little more approachable. Uh, except they clearly aren't. Like, this isn't even Uncanny Valley. These are clearly not people. Well, I mean, the Rizane Empire might be big on, like, uniforms and stuff. People who are very clearly affiliated with your group. And it might be easier to just dress up a robot. Assuming they are robots, we really don't know what's under that mask. That's true. We're making an assumption that they're robots. Well, they Just are because called... they're called automata does not necessarily mean that they are robots. Okay, fair enough. I assumed automata meant I mean, I'm mechanical also... person of some kind. I'm also assuming that. And um, we, we do learn that the Razane war machine is much more high-tech than uh, the Huagugan war machine. Oh, yeah. Um, by fair magnitude, th mm -hmm. tanks, guns, things that the, the locals really did not have in abundance yeah, prior to the occupation. They, they mentioned a fair amount of Western influence. Yeah. And uh, I think I know what that means. Jebby tends to use the word Western with a bit of d distaste, but uh, does acquiesce to changing styles and mores as mm -hmm. well. Um, Jebby gets some pancakes uh, in order to basically have a snack on the way home. So... Some kind of weird, sugary, gummy, sweet crepe pancake thing. Yeah. <laughs> the description of it, I don't know if it sounded appetizing or not. I mean, it, it could be like traditional street fare from another part of the world. I know. That doesn't mean it sounds appetizing to me. Fair enough. Jebby also overhears a little bit of hot goss about the latest in Conquest, but isn't super interested in it. But it's it's the kind of tidbit which I feel like might be important later on. So I do want to mention that apparently the Razani War Machine has been busy stamping out Huagugan rebels and recently took an ancient observatory, which might be important, but Jebby does not care no. and has... No interest. But in the it author felt it important enough to insert it into the book, whether or not the character is paying attention. Yeah. So, uh, so as a reader, making a note of it. Yes. Yeah. We should, nah, maybe at least take note. Jebby arrives home at the apartment that they share with their sister, Bong Sunga. And yes. Bong Sunga is there and immediately tells Jebby to basically just shut up and sit down. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those waiting for you yeah. in the dark for you to come in and just staring at the door, waiting for you to walk through it. Now, Bongsuga is older, and Jebby, even though Jebby's in their 20s, still feels like a teenager around Bongsuga. And yeah. they have that kind of relationship where Bongsuga is surrogate mom and makes Jebby feel like a kid. Yes. Even though Jebby is, in fact, I believe 26. Yeah. And therefore a fully grown adult. Yeah. And Jebby recognizes that something's up. Like, like there's clearly trouble. trouble. Yeah. yeah. Bongsuga sits them down next to the Baduk board, which is the Korean version of Go. Go. It's Go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's more famously known as Go Around the World, but it is based on a game that came from Korea to Japan and came to Korea from China. China yeah. So the point is, it's an ancient game that lots of people would recognize. Yeah, it, but it is Go for the record. Um, the reason I bring it up as well is because there's there's a clue built in here because Bongsunga plays Baduk with someone. Jebby doesn't know who. Jebby never sees anybody around playing it with Bongsunga. But the game board constantly shifts. So Bongsunga's playing it with someone. And this ties into a theory that Nita and I both have later on. When I first read that bit, 
I thought it was the equivalent of um, people who play chess over correspondence. Could be. Right? Something like that, where that's why Jebby never sees anyone playing the board, because there's never another physical person there. Of course, by the end of the chapter, I have changed my mind on that. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that as well. Bangsunga apparently is still in mourning as well over the death of her wife, Gia, six years prior. And we, we will learn in just a few moments. Gia died was, in the war. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She uh, was a soldier, was she not? Yeah. Fighting Razane uh, forces that were moving in on, yeah. on Huanguk. <laughs> and Jebby has like a get over it moment in their head, uh, yeah. but only with a bit of shame. And it's only because it's been six years. It's a bit of an unfair thing to think. And Jebby even admits it's a, internally that it's an unfair thing to think yeah but it i could i could go on a whole side bar here about people and grief uh yeah. which we don't have time for no. so let's just say that i agree that jebby's shame is well placed because you shouldn't shame someone for grieving in their own way i also understand jebby's knee-jerk reaction well, because it sounds like uh it sounds like their sister isn't grieving very healthily no if it's and, been six years um Especially based on other things that that will come later in the chapter, and I'll mention this right now because we've we've kind of segued into it. It seems like Bong Sunga is holding on to that grief on purpose. They're they're using it to fuel something else. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that. Bong Sunga has also been snooping in Jebby's room. Ah, uh, see, that's bad. Yeah, that's not cool. And Jebby even is like, that's not cool. Um, and Bong Sunga found the name change paperwork and is like, what's this about? And is kind of outraged. <laughs> And Jebby is strangely relieved because that's not the worst of it. No. Um, but Bongsunga is upset that Jebby is further assimilating to the Razane culture and says patriots, quote unquote, might not take too kindly to it. And is like, tell you what, we'll just I'll just burn it and we'll never speak of it again. And Jebby lets slip that it cost money to do. And this is apparently a big thing for Bongsunga. Yeah. Cash is not in significant supply for these two. No. And uh, Bongsunga scrimps and saves for them to get by and to uh, fuel Jebby's art habit, I guess would be the best way to put <laughs> it. So so the fact that this thing cost money definitely, like, immediately sets her on edge. And Jebby tells us at this juncture what that debt was. They actually had borrowed money from a moneylender to get the name change paperwork. And that's one of the reasons they need this job so they can pay that off. Yeah. One thing I'm not clear on with this is exactly how much that cost. Well, enough that they had to borrow from a moneylender. No, no. Is this, okay, but is this the equivalent of going to a payday loans place and getting a couple hundred bucks and paying back more than a couple hundred bucks? Or is this like, I went to a loan shark because this cost thousands? Oh, I doubt that that's the case. I would get the impression that because the Razani Empire, and again, this is something I want to put a pin in for later, they want the local culture to assimilate. So it should not be out of reach. But there is a bureaucracy in place. And so in order to grease the wheels, you need some money. Yeah. So I would argue that it's it has a cost, but it's not it's not that expensive. Okay. It's, so this is more like a payday loans kind of thing. Yeah, this is out of the reach of people of more limited means, like Bongsunga and Jebi is my impression. Mm -hmm. But like more well-to-do Huangukan citizens would probably find it very easy to do. Okay. Or much easier to do. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Jebby gets evasive, not wanting to really explain why they got the name change paperwork, where they got the money from. Because it all it all leads down a really dark rabbit hole of, eh, 
I want to say shame, but shame doesn't seem like the quite the right word for it. Yeah, uh, but Jebby falls into what is very obviously a common pattern with Bong Sunga of accidentally letting slip too much information. Yeah. Which means that Jebby is either a bad liar or Bong Sunga is just the person who has Jebby's number. Yes, which that is my guess because yeah. uh, siblings. Yeah. Right? Now, Jebby does make it clear they love their sister. Very they, much. One of the Very reasons, much. One of the reasons they wanted this job was to make things easier for Bong Suga because they like seeing Bong Suga go out and be able to afford things and the joy that it brings her. But Bong Suga has been keeping secrets from Jebby. Oh, oh, the, oh, yes. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And we do not get a first impression of Bong Suga in this chapter that is particularly positive. Bong Suga comes across as controlling, secretive, and mistrustful mm-hmm. in this chapter. All at once. Yeah. And I th- again, there's a reason for that. We're going to get to it. We're almost there. So close. Hold on. Um, Jebby ultimately decides to relent and kind of just tell the truth and let the anger happen so that it can blow over faster and they can get back to normal. So Jebby is like, okay, I, I went and I applied for a job at the art ministry and in order to do that it was better if i looked like a rosane person so i went and got a rosane name no big deal and bonsuga is like no that's a pretty big deal that's a huge deal yeah bonsuga is betrayed yes by this which to me without putting in without filling in the gaps on my own seems like a crazy overreaction uh but we learn here that gia died fighting during the conquest yes and Bongsunga is outraged that Jebby would essentially become a collaborator. Yep. She throws Jebby out, basically. Yes. It's like, if you want to go be one of them, go be one of them, but not in my house. Get out. So if that doesn't point to Bongsunga being, at the very least, part of an underground rebellion, I don't know what does. Uh, yeah. That's, that's this is where our we pin. I'm pulling it yeah. and throwing the grenade. That is clearly what this is pointing at, even if it's not stated outright. Bongsunga has motivation. Uh, her wife died fighting against the occupation. Yep. Bongsunga has been holding on to the grief of losing Gia for six years, probably to help fuel that hatred for the Rosani. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a whole rage machine right there. Bongsunga has done the bare minimum to assimilate to the Rosani occupation. Yep. The bare minimum just to skate by. Mm-hmm. Bongsunga has been snooping in Jebby's business, has been keeping secrets from her. Because Jebby at one point mentions that Bongsunga makes money somehow. She gets enough to help them get by by doing mysterious odd jobs that keep her out all hours of the night. That she doesn't talk about. That she never talks about. And it's pretty clear to me that's because she's out doing rebel stuff. I'm genuinely surprised that this does not occur to Jebby. And she's got a mysterious board game pal who comes over when Jebby's away to discuss over a strategy game stuff. I don't even know if there's another opponent. I think it's a strategy game. I think it's a board layout that's actually a map. It could be. The point is, Bongsunga is almost certainly working for the Rebellion. Clearly! That's one of the reasons why she is so outraged and betrayed that her sibling would run off and join the occupiers as a collaborator. How dare you go do this thing that you think is in the best interests of our family because I've been keeping secrets from you. Because I've been keeping secrets from you. Yeah, that's that's the other side of this. The other side of the coin is that Bongsunga has not told Jebby anything. No. 
And so how was Jebby to know? Right? And I, I get that Bongsunga is probably being overprotective and thought by keeping Jebby at arm's length, it would keep them safe. But it's also led to this situation. It's the Spider-Man problem all over again. It is the Spider-Man problem again. You can't be angry that somebody has done something that runs contrary to your plans if you haven't told them your plans. And that's kind of the problem Bong Suga has found herself in here. So again, not a great first impression for Bong Suga. No, not part. really. Despite the fact that Jebby makes it very clear that Bong Suga's a good person. Yeah. It's one of those best interests, just a little misguided. Yeah. That's what I think is, is happening here. Now I'm going to pull the pin on the Razani Empire thing real quick. Okay. The Empire of Razan clearly is trying to create a homogenous culture across all of its territories. It is actively trying to stamp out the Huagugan culture. Oh, yeah. And that is also one of the reasons why I think, as I said before, getting a Razani name is not outside of the means of the average Huagugan right. person. That would be my belief. And it's because, again... The Razane want you to dress like them. They want you to have a name like them. They want you to speak their language. They want to wipe out the local place names. Yes. You're all part of the empire now. We all have the same culture. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. Which, again, reminds me of the Texcalanli Empire. Very much so. Uh, from A Memory Called Empire. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Jebby, who's applying to be a collaborator, like, it's, it's a fair cop. They don't care about politics enough that they're willing to just work with the occupying force. And... It does not click with them that people, including their sister, whose wife died fighting the Razani people, might be offended by that, might take issue with that, might call them a traitor for doing that. Well, a traitor to their people and their culture. Maybe, but Jebby's also trying to act in they, and I mean the collective they, uh, in their best interests, because they are clearly struggling to maintain this this middle class level mm -hmm. that they've got right like they can afford a nicer apartment right they're not living in a shack on the street or anything but it's taking a lot to get there and they want to stay there and jebby's just trying to make their lives better this ties back to bong Sunga keeping jebby at arm's length i i get the impression that bong Sunga has been keeping politics away from Jebby, too. Probably. Probably, again, to shelter them, overprotective. Mm -hmm. Lost dad, lost mom, lost my wife, you're my only family. I'm going to protect you from the world. But by sheltering them, they've created this apolitical creature that doesn't recognize that, what's the big deal? Like, they're the government. I could get a good-paying job with them. Who cares? Like, we could live easier. It yeah. does. I don't care about the politics because you never talk about the politics with me, probably. Probably. So I don't understand why it's important. Yeah. I understand that Gia died fighting them, but that was six years ago. And like, they're the government. Who's going to stop them? Yeah. We're we're in this weird post-war society. Very much. Right? Yes. Where people are trying to get back to, uh, quote unquote, normal. I imagine the same thing happened in the late 40s, early 50s, mm -hmm. right? Just post-World War II, mm -hmm. where everyone's like, okay, <laughs> now, this major event that occupied all of our lives is over. Now, let's pick up the pieces and try to assemble it into something that functions moving forward. And Jebby is trying to do that. They are not a one-person army who's going to take down this government they have accepted that this is the world they live in now, mm -hmm. and they are going to do their best to thrive in that. But And they might care more 
if Bong Sunga was being more upfront with them about yes, it. Yes, exactly. If they knew that it mattered so much to Bong Sunga. And it's it's pretty clear, like it's a little bit reading between the lines here, but it's pretty clear to me at the very least that Jebby does not recognize that because again, Bong Sunga doesn't talk to Jebby about this stuff. This is kind of a problem of Bong Sunga's own making, is is ultimately where we're going. But at any rate, um, one last fun fact. Jebby in Korean means swallow, lot, cut, or draw. Oh, draw as in art draw? As in, as in... art draw. Oh, that's appropriate. Yeah. Like so that. just uh, possible meanings for the name. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about before we, before we finish up our episode here um, is magic. Because Jebby has secretly two charms, mm-hmm. an old one and a new one. Mm-hmm. In uh, red and blue, they they talk about the whole yin and yang component to that. And we know from our little excerpt on the back, our little description on the back of the book, that magic in this world does exist. Yes. But I'm curious about whether or not these charms are actually real. Um, it's just because magic magic exists doesn't mean these charms are real. They even have this whole bit about people not totally understanding how they work, whether it's an old. I mean, whether an old magic makes it stronger or or, or it wears out over time, and so you need a new one with strong magic. I mean, I don't necessarily understand exactly how a television works, but I still use one. Yeah, but. And if it broke down, I wouldn't necessarily know where to begin on how to fix it or why it broke down. The difference is. You might not know how a television works, but somebody does. Well, and presumably somebody knows how the charms work because somebody made the charms, right? Yeah, but making a charm and knowing how the magic works, Hmm. two different things. Well, and Jebby points out that clearly the good luck charms failed miserably today. Like in in a spectacular fashion. I kind of wonder if they didn't cancel each other out. I mean, it's possible. That That was my thought. I'm like, I wonder if their charms canceled each other out. Yeah, possible. Right? A new one canceled out the canceled out the old one. And maybe Jebby should just pick. <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm curious to see how magic works in this world because I know it's there. The Razani seem to believe that Hua Gugan uh, superstition is just that. It's just superstitious mumbo jumbo. But again, they they appear to have some sort of perhaps weaponized magic. Right. In the form of their automata. So who knows? Yeah. But I mean, that could just be cultural snobbery, basically. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, our magic is real and your magic is just mumbo jumbo. Mm. And Nita rolls her eyes out loud. Classic imperialism. And and again, they're trying to stamp out the local culture. So I know. Your beliefs are nonsense. Our beliefs are serious business. <laughs> Clearly we are right because we won. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we'll see if they continue to win as we move into chapter two of Phoenix Extravagant, uh, which you want to read up on in time for next week. In the meantime, you know, one thing that Jebby's not interested in is local news, but If you're one of our listeners, you might be interested in local news. And as it happens, there is a local news organization that can bring you that hyper-local content you're looking for. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity-driven stories, topical newsletters, and locally-focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. They have an arts roundup! Taproot publishes a weekly arts roundup, gathering up what's happening locally in theatre, dance, the visual arts, the literary arts, and more. Subscribe to the arts roundup for free at taprootedmonton.ca. 
good people at Taproot. Probably there are uh, other local groups such as Taproot in your own community, if you don't live local to Edmonton or Calgary, uh, who uh, can give you that hyper-local content as well. You should definitely seek them out. 100%. Yeah. Uh, something else you should seek out is albertapodcastnetwork.com, where you can find more information about our sponsors and, of course, all of the wonderful podcasts that make up the network. You can find them on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. It's probably where you catch our pod. You should uh, give us a little rating and a review. We'd like that. Yeah. We'd also like to talk to you on social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at The Read Along in most of those places. We can also be reached via email. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. For more arts. Maybe. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. <laughs> <laughs>